0: So, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Exodus chapter twenty. We'll be in verse fifteen today, going through the eighth commandment: "Do not steal." Now, when I graduated from paramedic school, Tammy got me a present. She gave me a professional level stethoscope as a graduation gift. Now, you can go and buy a stethoscope at any Walgreens or um, over here at Kobe Pharmacy or anything but it's not really quality. You can't really hear a lot with it. It's good to probably take a blood pressure with, but if you're really starting to listen to the heart and the lungs, you need a good quality and very durable stethoscope. And a good stethoscope will cost you well over $100. They even have ones with amplifiers that are over $500. Now, we didn't get that crazy with it. We got one that was about $170 at the time, and it's similar to this one right here. This is a Littman Master of Cardiology right here, and it cost about $170. And I had one just like this for seven years. And I got it again when I first became a paramedic. It helped me deliver my first baby, it helped me assess my patients, helped me through those early years of struggling to be a great paramedic and and learning the job and everything. In fact, I would keep this on the dashboard of the ambulance whenever I get in the ambulance, I would just take it and flip it over my neck like that and it was like the power of paramedic came upon me or something and it was it was like flipping a switch that I would just go into that mode immediately and and be able to go out there and do my job. One night there was a bad car accident in Walworth County where I was doing 911 and there was a patient there that needed immediate transport to the trauma center about 45 miles away. Unfortunately, it was storming, helicopters weren't flying, so we had to take them by ground. And we took them to a hospital called Frederick Hospital um, in Milwaukee. Freighter is the only level one trauma center that we have here in the state of Wisconsin. And level one trauma center means like when you watch TV and you see people get rushed into a trauma room and there's like 100 people in there and you know, all jostling and pushing and shouting and, and doing all kinds of things. That's what Freighter is like. So you bring a patient into, into Freighter and you have to yell out your report over the top of everybody else um, talking and, and calling out assessment findings and all that kind of stuff. And as we moved our patient over to the hospital bed, one of the medical student residents grabbed my stethoscope right off my neck that's not really that unusual. I mean, they, a lot of times they just need to check a breathing tube or do an assessment on a patient, and they see your stethoscope, so they grab it. That happens sometimes in medicine, particularly to paramedics, because we wear pants with about a thousand things in the pockets. My the pants I wear to work literally have 17 different pockets in them, so people are always grabbing stuff out of my pockets or grabbing stuff from around my neck, and so it wasn't all that unusual. So this medical student, he grabs it and. He's assessing the lungs, he's going down and assessing the stomach, and right there the charge nurse is like, Get your cot out of here. We gotta get at the patient, you're blocking everybody. So he got the cot out of the way, and everybody kind of swarmed in around the patient, and they're they're checking him out and everything. And we got and the charge nurse is like, Okay, clear the trauma room, we have another trauma coming in. I'm like, Well, that guy somewhere in that pile of people over there has my stethoscope and you know it costs a little bit, you should know that. She goes, I'll I'll get it for you, I'll bring it out. I said, Okay. So I walked out and I'm standing outside the trauma room and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. My pager's going off saying, clear immediately. We have your, we're have holding calls, clear immediately. 911 calls are coming in. And I'm like, I need my stethoscope. I'm not leaving without my stethoscope. So I go back into the trauma room and everybody's gone. They move the patient immediately to emergency surgery. I'm like, well, okay, where'd my stethoscope go? I walked through the ER, finally tracked down that nurse. I said, hey, you're supposed to get my stethoscope for me. goes, She goes, I don't even know who that guy was. He was some special visiting specialist, resident, something. He's just on the verge of graduating. He's out of here. And she said, I don't even know what service he was from. I don't even know who to call. And she said, I'm way too busy to deal with this right now. See you later. You. And so I'm standing there thinking that you know my stethoscope that I've had for years and years and years is now gone and stolen by a guy who's on the verge of graduating from a, a trauma surgical specialty, so he's going to go on to make at least a quarter million dollars a year. And he steals a paramedic stethoscope. And I remember I, was, I just felt devastated. I mean, this, this stethoscope, and it, it just seems silly, but it was really important to me at the time. I mean, you know, it might be like some people would consider their first car to be very important to them. That they ever owned or, or just some something that you placed a lot of value. Maybe pictures or something like that. And somebody comes and, and takes them or wrecks them or, or does something like that. Anybody ever here ever have something like that happen to you? Do you remember placing that kind of emotional uh, value in something that was stolen? And you feel that, that sting of disappointment? Well, that's actually part of our God image within us, that Imago day that we've been talking about the last few weeks, that God has put within us at creation. And that is why he gave us the eighth commandment to protect that part of our nature. And it's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, that says, you shall not steal. Let's pray. Father God, I ask Lord that you help us to understand the reason that you have given us this commandment of the value that you place upon us being good stewards the value you place upon us showing your righteousness and your care to the world and that you would enable us to understand just how much value we should have in the things that you have given us to steward father god i ask this in your name amen Now part of the reason that God gave us the Ten Commandments is because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had their eternal destiny stolen by a thief the Bible calls Satan. And through getting our first parents to believe in a lie, he was able to steal that image of God that God placed within us in creation away from humanity. And the consequences of that theft continue today, as the truth of this commandment is under attack by some people who misinterpret another part of the Bible. Acts 2.44 stated that the church in its early days had all things in common. And they take that to mean that within the church, we should essentially be more or less kind of communists, that we shouldn't hold property, that we shouldn't hold personal possessions. Or even treat well the things that God has blessed us with. And I would say, you know, if we were a perfect society, if we didn't have a sin nature within us, I would agree with that. But God is not dealing with perfected humanity yet, is he? I mean, he's stuck with you and me. So we're going to begin the first part of our talk this morning about this truth, is that God understands private property rights and he wants to protect private property rights a moment ago I said in the early church they seem to have everything in common and, and some Christians would use this as a proof text that we should not have private property and have all things in common there are even more some people on the more liberal and radical fringe of Christianity that said this one scripture in the entire Bible supports communism as the only biblical economic and political ideal there are some people that say that we should all be communists Obviously, that's false. So let's explore the context of this verse a little bit. In Acts chapter 2, God gives the Holy Spirit to the church. Now, prior to this, the Holy Spirit had not existed within an individual since Adam and Eve. And one of the things that Satan stole from our first parents was that abiding presence of God upon us. That is why when, when Adam and Eve sinned, They looked at each other and saw that they were naked. Now, they weren't talking about the physical nakedness. They were talking about the lack of the Holy Spirit's presence within each other. They couldn't see the presence and image of God in each other anymore. And for 4,000 years, the Holy Spirit would occasionally come upon select people. You can see it in in Judges when... when, and First Samuel, when the Holy Spirit would come upon Saul and he became a different man, or David, and he would come upon people like that, priests, kings, prophets, other individuals that God used for a specific purpose and a specific time. But the Holy Spirit only came upon them temporarily to indwell them so that God's will could be accomplished on the earth for that specific time in history. However, it was only a temporary visitation. And not a true inhabitation. After Jesus paid for our sins, everything changed. The Holy Spirit was now able to take up a permanent residence within the life of the believer. Again, remember that none of these people in the early church had ever experienced anything like this at that time. Believe it or not, I used to be terrified of public speaking. I am what some people would consider to be a significant and sometimes an extreme introvert. I kind of live in my own mind. I kind of like being off alone. If I'm at a party, I'm the guy in the corner that's like watching everybody, not walking around, shaking hands, hugging people, see, you know, hey, how's everything going on in your life? Actually, social events are generally very exhausting to me. I'm not, I would not be the person that approached people to introduce myself. They're going to have to come to me. That's just what my personality is like in its natural self. But then I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and everything changed. A few months after I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was part of a team that was putting on a production called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And during that production, it was all about winning people to Jesus and showing them the consequences of, of sin and and, and, being, and having to stand before God and, and, and God saying you're going to heaven or you're going to hell and showing things like that. We would have prayer meetings lasting one to two hours before the event each night. And during one of those prayer meetings, the evangelist prayed over me and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit during that time. And it changed who I was at the, on the inside. Because after the church service, we all went out to eat. Went to a fast food resident, or a restaurant. And I was just compelled to go from table to table, introducing myself to people and asking them if they knew Jesus. Okay. I was just preaching to them. I was like, you need to accept Jesus. You don't, I don't want you to go to hell. I was just, you know, probably really annoying. And, and just going out and telling people about Jesus. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit makes all that difference. It changed who I was on the inside. And during those first few weeks of experiencing this presence in my life for the first time, I was on fire. I was telling everybody about Jesus. Then that initial euphoria wore off a little bit, and I became a little bit more closer to how I had been before, but I had that increased boldness to share the gospel that I never had before. But this is what happened in the early church. Everybody went through this initial stage of euphoria and excitement. When things got back to normal, they, they went back and, and, and kept their own property. But they had a new focus and a new attitude about giving that property, about being willing to share their property, about being able to share their finances and giving to the poor. And that's what Luke is recording here in Acts 2.44. It's not an economic model, it's a, a spiritual model that the church should follow. God put the Eighth Commandment in that Big Ten rules for us because he tells us he wants us to respect other people's personal property. Saying that, there's also a truth about private property we need to remember. God owns it all. He owns it all. Proverbs 24.1 Excuse me, Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord, Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. What that means is that every atom in your body, as well as every atom in existence, was created by God. Let me illustrate this a little bit. Some of you who come to Sunday school, they've, they've heard me um, use this example before, but the scientists at the Human Genome Project The people who mapped out human DNA decided to go and give God a challenge. They said, we have the entire human DNA code available to us. And now we're able to see the DNA code of every other creature on earth, if we so choose. And because we can map out DNA now, we can also create life out of dirt, just like you did. God said, well, that's pretty impressive. He goes, okay, I'll be impressed. He goes, let me see you do it. So they bent down, scooped up some dirt, and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. But God said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He goes, that's my dirt. You go, go make your own dirt out of nothing. Then I'll be impressed. You see, when God created us, he created everything out of what theologians called ex nihilo. It means everything came out of nothing. God spoke, and nothing became everything. And since God created everything, everything ultimately belongs to Him. If you create something, isn't what you created yours? That's just common sense, right? So since He created everything, everything is now His. It it changes how we view our private property. It It should change our view of money, it should change how we view our talents and abilities. Everything is God and he has given people different parts of his property to steward. He's given people different parts of his of his personality and that what and to take that which is yours to steward is or excuse me to take that which is not yours to steward is ultimately questioning God's wisdom, God's plan and God's purpose and it's stealing from God himself. So that's, we're establishing what theft is. Let's look at some of the ways that people in our day break the Eighth Commandment. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but ones I came up with doing some research. I looked at some of the highest incidences of theft in our world. First one is taxes. Show of hands, how many people here look forward to April 15th each year? Everybody look forward to April 15th. Everybody loves to sit down and fill out their taxes, don't they? Everybody loves to make sure that you paid the government enough money and that you didn't owe them any more. Now, some of us who overpay a little bit, we get a little bit of a, a tax refund, but nobody really looks forward to filling out tax forms. In fact, the IRS estimates that tax cheats cost the U.S. government over $400 billion a year. They collect about 3 trillion and tax cheats collect or cheat the government out of 400 billion dollars. And much of that comes from doesn't come from individuals, it comes from companies or extremely extremely wealthy people hiding stuff overseas where Uncle Sam can't see it. Now, when we start talking about things like 400 billion, 3 trillion, anybody really have a grasp of what that looks like? Let me put that in perspective. If you make $500 a week, And you make your budget fit exactly within that $500 a week. It pays your car payment, your mortgage, your electric bill, your cell phone bill. All that fits within $500 a week. Now imagine your employer decides to cheat you out of some of your pay and only give you $462 a week. How long is it going to be before you go bankrupt? Before somebody shows up and takes your car? Before the bank repossesses your house? Or forecloses on your house? How long is that going to take? That would be exactly the same thing as $400 billion taken out of $3 trillion. You see, we all want a strong national defense. We all want well-maintained interstates, bridges, and roads. We all want our Social Security funded, don't we? Come on, there's a couple people in here that should say amen to that. <laughs> we need our Social Security. I paid into it. But, yep, yeah, we paid into it, right? But... Most people do everything we can do to personally get out of paying our fair share to support things. And I'm guilty as an ex-person. Now, I'm not cheating, but I take advantage. If there's a loophole or, or a deduction I can use, I take advantage of that. It's within the law. Tammy and I are blessed, and actually this church is blessed, to have a very eth- careful and a very ethical uh, certified public accountant helping us. John Helverson is... Very conservative about how he does the taxes, and if it's not in the black and white of the IRS code, he's not going to do it. He's not going to let you write it off. He's going to tell you, sorry, that doesn't count. John doesn't even know what a gray area looks like. He told me that. He goes, I don't do gray. I do black and white. If it's not in the IRS code, we're not doing it. And that's the kind of person I want doing my taxes because I don't want to be in trouble with the government, and I want to live with integrity. Now hopefully no one here is cheating on your taxes, but if you are, make a change next year because that tax form you sign at the bottom has wording that says you are saying that what you are writing is true. So don't be a liar, because you'll break two commandments at the same time. The next commandment we'll talk about next week. Another way people steal is not paying their bills. And sometimes this is a little unavoidable. Medical bills in particular can add up very, very, very fast. I know that we still have medical bills we're paying on. It. If you look at our poor credit report, there's, there's medical bills on it. And so sometimes that's unavoidable. I'm talking more about purposely living above your means. In other words, buying things that you cannot afford to buy on credit and then defaulting on that credit. That's what I'm referring to here. The recession of 2008, anybody remember that? That happened because people were buying houses they cannot even remotely afford to pay for. You have people working at McDonald's or unemployed getting mortgages for $250,000 or $300,000 home because the government told Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you can't discriminate against the poor, you have to give them their mortgages. So you have a person making minimum wage trying to pay for a $300,000 house. How do you think that's going to work out? That's pretty stupid, right? The average American—I did some research. Average American carries $5,700 in credit card debt. With an average family of four or five, carries $150,000 of total debt, counting credit cards, mortgages, car payments, medical bills, etc. $150,000—that makes my heart—I'm getting palpitations just thinking of being that far in debt. We're not, but I'm just saying. And because of the way many states handle bankruptcies, many attorneys can file a bankruptcy in such a way that you'll, it will get you and erase your debt, but you get to keep the stuff that you got in debt with. Isn't that theft? Yes. To me, that's theft. That's, common sense says that's theft. If you don't agree with that statement, let's flip it around. Say you owned a camper, and a friend comes to you and says, hey, I'll buy your camper. Okay. He goes, oh, I can't afford to pay for the whole thing. How about I I pay you a hundred bucks a week until it's paid off. And, you know, we've been best friends a long time. You know, I'm going to pay you. Okay, that's fine. Take the camper. Enjoy it. Just give me a hundred dollars a week. Well, after three or four payments, the guy said, well, I can't afford it anymore. But, you know, thanks to the camper. Aren't you going to want your camper back? Right? Aren't you going to be like calling up a, an attorney or going down to the courthouse, a small claims court, to get that camper back? A credit company isn't any different, and we should do everything we can to live within our means and make every effort to pay any debt that we have. Even if, And if that debt is for real property and it turns out we can't afford it, we need to work it out with a creditor to give it back. That's living with biblical integrity. But there's a flip side to credit default, which is interest rates. Now I know there's probably nobody here that's a banker, but if you were a lender of money and you are charging people the maximum interest rate in Wisconsin, which is right now, legally the most you can charge a person is 24.99% interest. That's the most you can charge a person right now. The Bible calls that usury. Usury is the Bible's word for an exorbitant credit fee. Usury was considered theft by God and enslavement of your fellow man. To the Jewish people, that idea of enslavement was like waving a red flag in front of a bull. You have to remember, these people spent $400, years being a slave so this was a a sensitive issue for them so when God gave Moses this law when he said enslavement it really dug it into their heads that they were not supposed to charge interest at all to a fellow Jew and if they borrowed money or borrowed possessions or anything to a Gentile or somebody outside of the Jewish nation the most interest they could charge was one percent one percent a month or twelve percent APR compounded annually You know, you get a 12% APR and they say, okay, yeah, but we're going to compound it every two weeks. So it turns out to be much higher than that, actually. But most people don't know money, so they get kind of suckered into these things. But that's still a huge difference to a credit rate today, isn't it? God considers usury theft. In fact, Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. High-interest credit cards and other predatory lenders take advantage of humanity's nature to covet things and exploit it to become rich. You want to know where, the, the, where you'll see a lot of credit card um, applications and, and all that kind of st- uh, credit card booths? College. College and military PXs. Yeah, military PXs, you'll see them everywhere because they know that if a military person signs up for that credit card, they'll get paid because all they have to do is send a letter to the commanding officer. The commanding officer will take all that pay and put it toward that credit card. They're taking advantage of people and they're exploiting them to become rich. So I just tell you now, don't play their game. Don't become a slave to the payment. Don't limit God's ability to use you to further his kingdom because you're a slave to possessions and making payment on possessions. There's another common source of theft, and that is employees to employers. Uh, 2016 statistics estimated that employees steal five times more property than outside thieves. Five times more property. I thought that was incredible. I remember when I was an assistant manager at a Ponderosa in Kenosha, and one of the things that we had to do as management is we had to go out into the freezer every morning and verify our stake count. Because the stakes cost so much and the profit margin on them was so slim, we had to keep very accurate counts of exactly how many stakes we had. So we had to count the porterhouses, the T-bones, the ribeyes, the chop steak, the the chicken patties, any meat we had out there, we had to maintain a very accurate count. And generally, because we trusted our morning cooks, we would allow the morning cooks to go out there and do our steak count for us, and we'd reconcile that with what came out of the register and what we had for meat loss. If somebody didn't like their steak and they sent it back and wanted a new one, we'd have to mark that on a sheet and all that. And we had to reconcile that and make sure it was exactly the same every shift. Well, then we started to notice that we're starting to lose a few stakes here and there. We thought, well, you know, we have a couple of new cooks and and maybe they're messing it up. And, you know, we want to make sure we get to the bro- the bottom of this because nothing will incur your district manager's um, wrath quicker than losing stakes. Again, profit margins very slim. So they're very, 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 uh, very particular about these stake counts. So. We went and started to count them. We re-educated the staff, said, hey, if you drop one, okay, it's a stake loss. We understand things happen. If one comes back, you got to make sure you put it on the sheet. But stakes just kept disappearing, and the rate the stakes were disappearing was increasing. And suddenly, we're missing whole boxes of stakes. Now, a case of porterhouses would cost us about $250 to $300. So this is starting to cost some money now. And so we took the keys away from the cooks and we said okay the managers will do the steak counts. So we started doing the steak counts but the steaks kept disappearing. So our, our general manager said okay well from now on two managers will go out into the freezer and count the steaks morning, noon and night. We're going to be figuring out where these steaks are going. And they still kept disappearing. And we're going, well obviously not there's not a conspiracy here because the, you know, We have the keys. We have the only keys. Where are these stakes going? So we started playing with the schedule around. We noticed that Friday night seemed to be the night that they were going missing. So we played with the schedule. We moved some people around on the schedule and everything. We narrowed it down to it seemed to be disappearing when one couple was on duty. And so we decided to stake out their house on garbage day. So the manager's husband, the general manager's husband and I, Jump in the car and we go to their house on garbage day, and lo and behold, what's in the alley behind their house? Boxes of boxes and boxes of empty steaks. Empty steak boxes. So we called the police. Police came and did an investigation. They found out that the, the girl involved had a brother who worked at a hardware store and took the key, the key that said no copies allowed on it and made a couple copies. So their family was coming in during the busy times when they were, could guarantee there was nobody else. The freezer was actually set apart from the restaurant. Um, they were coming in and just stealing boxes and boxes and boxes of steak. And they ended up costing our restaurant over $20,000 in steak loss. They were sentenced to two to four years in prison and told to pay restitution. Employee theft in the United States is estimated to cost over $60 billion a year, last year. Those are 2016 numbers. Approximately 75% of people admit to stealing something from their employer over the course of their employment. The biggest culprits? Office supplies, retail goods, off the loading docks. Walmart found out about this. And they, you know, you ever walk into a Walmart and you see cameras everywhere on the sales floor? Well, they finally started to put cameras back at the loading dock because that's where they were losing the most stuff. Their employees were stealing TVs and throwing them in a minivan next to the loading dock when the truck was offloading. Oh, wow. So now they have cameras back there also. But ultimately, it doesn't matter if it's just a paper clip. If you take something that's not yours, it's stealing. Another source of employee theft is wasted time. Anybody want to guess what the biggest time waster in a company is right now? Internet. Social media, news sites, cute cat videos, all part of the wasted time uh, ways that employees waste their employer's time. But the one that really irritates employers the most is that when they find out that their people are surfing sites like Monster, LinkedIn, or other job-finding sites. So you're getting paid by one job and you're trying to look for another one. On the company's computer, on the company's time using the company's internet. Now if you were an employer, would that irritate you? Yeah, Yeah, that would irritate me. (coughs) So I would just ask you to ask yourself, are you contributing to that $60 billion a year figure of employee theft? Do you do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay? That's particularly important if you wave the Christian flag at work or or try to tell people about Jesus, but they see you wasting your employer's time. Let's move on to our final point about stealing, and that is stealing from God. We'll go to that famous scripture in Malachi chapter 3. Now Malachi is having a conversation with the people returning from their exile about their behavior toward the rebuilding of the temple. And so Malachi is standing in the place of God and having this conversation back and forth. And Malachi asked on behest of God, he said, will a mere mortal rob God? He said, yeah, you rob me. But the people ask, how are we robbing you? God responds in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now I'm not going to re-preach the Sermon on Giving. Because that's the way that this scripture is usually used. And it's an appropriate uses, but I want to focus on more than just that today. Now, God does expect his people to give toward the work of his kingdom. That is an expectation of any Christian. Remember, everything you own is his anyway. So giving it, it shouldn't be that big of a deal about that. But that being said, I've read and heard and, and um, throughout church history and theologians, they've always said that a church, a person's spiritual health, is indicated by three different things. After what they do with their devotional time, they say the lines on their bank statement. In other words, if you look at your bank statement, what are you spending your money on? And the challenge for us here is look at your bank statement and all the things that are on it, and say, God, can you bless all that? And if you can't do that with a straight face, then ask God how to make it right. I'm not even saying you necessarily have to give it to the church. You just have to make sure that the way you're spending his finances are in a way that honors him. The second way is our talents. How do you use your talent? You were given a talent, you were given a skill, you were given a, an ability to do something by God to serve his kingdom. I once knew a guy who was awesome with finances, and we were going through a different bookkeeper, and, he, and we asked him, you know, can you come in and just take a quick look at the books for us to make sure that this new bookkeeper has a clean slate to go with, it, that they're not trying to clean up the mess of the, the last bookkeeper. And so the guy said, well, sure, I'll come in. And he quoted a, a very substantial price to do it. And like thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm like, well, I, I'm not asking you for like a forensic audit here. I'm just asking you to take, you know, a half hour to look over the books and see if you see anything weird that needs to be fixed. So he give, you know, again, give that next bookkeeper a, a clean slate. He goes, he goes, you know what I've learned in life, Pastor? He goes, I've learned if you're good at something, you never do it for free. I said, okay. I said, by that standard, you've probably called me or come up to me several times, maybe a dozen, maybe 20 times in the last several years. I've been here and asked for medical advice. I said, I am a very good paramedic and I deserve to be paid for what I do. So given that the average base rate for an ambulance right now starts at $500, I'm gonna be sending you a very substantial bill. I say, even if I just narrow it down to a dozen, I'm like, that's $6,000. I could use $6,000. I'm going to send you a bill. He goes, well, well, you're a pastor. You have to be willing to use your, your skills to, for the church for nothing. I said, but by your standard, you said I'm good at something. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do it for free. The reality for all of us is God gave us our skills, God gave us our abilities, God has given us our knowledge, our education, everything to serve his kingdom first. That's the expectation of any Christian, not just a pastor, not just a bookkeeper. That's every Christian. Our gifts and talents are given us to further his kingdom. The third way that we we test our spiritual health is looking at our schedule. How do we use our most important commodity, which is our time? How much time do we spend in prayer? How much time do we spend watching TV as opposed to doing something for God? Devotional time, prayer time, reading the Bible. We were talking about the other day at work about how old we were. And something that recently occurred to me is you can't really measure how old you are based on your birth date. You can only measure how old you are based on your death date. Think about that for a minute. I'm 47 years old. If I'm going to die at 48, I'm a pretty old person right now, aren't I? If I'm 18 years old and I'm going to die at 19, I'm pretty old. However, if I'm 50 years old and I'm going to die when I'm 100, I'm only middle age. I have a whole lot of time to serve God. And since none of us really know when we're going to die, that means we have to make every effort to use the time that we have right now to serve His kingdom. Amen. So I ask you, are you stealing from God and what He has given you in your wealth or your talent or your time? Are you a lazy worker at your job? Are you guilty of theft in some other way that you need to repent of and ask God's forgiveness? Because stealing and theft should not be named among God's people.